Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. On this episode, we discuss the modern Planet of the Apes trilogy, including Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and War for the Planet of the Apes. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is Anthony. And this is James. Today's going to be a fun one. We're going to do the new trilogy of the Planet of the Apes franchise. And I mean, what, have there been five before these ones I, made? I think six, maybe. And then Tim yeah. Burton did one in 2001, I believe, mm-hmm. was that one, starring Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. But I think this one is such incredible filmmaking. This is a perfect trilogy. And what do I mean by that? Each film in its sequel is either superior, better, or equal to its predecessor. And so there are few, very few trilogies that do that. I'm talking like Lord of the Rings trilogy does that. The Dark Knight trilogy, you could say, does that almost. And then I would say Oceans, that's about it, maybe. You and Oceans. I love the Oceans movies. They're all so good. And what Matt Reeves and Ruben Flesher, the director of the first one, did was really incredible with this film because... The first Planet of the Apes was uh, an amazing movie when it came out. And Rupert it, Wyatt. Rupert Wyatt. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And who the hell is Flesher? He, he's, <laughs> he did uh, Rocket Man and Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> Kidding. And but the original was a sensation, and it was, but it was very pulpy and super science fictiony. And as great as it was, it didn't have, I would say, the emotional stakes that these ones have. And what the filmmakers and writers really did with this trilogy was make you empathize with Caesar and the other apes and really understand their point of views. I know in other Planet movies, Planet of the Apes movies, the humans are the villains, but with this one, by the end of the trilogy, you feel like you're a member of the ape community. You've gone along this journey with them, especially Caesar, growing with them, seeing their struggles and conflicts in, in the trials and tribulations of their society. And by the, by the end of the third film, you feel like you know them so well, and I, I, you could never have imagined that from thinking about a movie about talking apes. Yeah, I, I just love the direction that Matt Reeves ended up taking the franchise. Not that Rupert Wyatt didn't do a great job with the first one. Um, I think that he, there's it's not clear why he didn't come back. I think the assumption is creative differences and maybe not enough time to work out the plan that he wanted. But I, I just love what Matt Reeves did, and it makes me so excited for the Batman because he took this story about these apes and turned it into... One of the best stories we've had in the last 10 years in film in general, and, and it's all CGI mostly, and the incredible motion capture artists and, and actors like Andy Serkis and what they did for this role in terms of him coming off Lord of the Rings, and then he's done his his company, Imaginarium Productions, and then Weta Digital, what they did, and Weta did King Kong, I mean, they did Kong, Avatar, Lord of the Rings, so they've been around the motion capture scene for a while, just pioneering that entire movement. Yeah, and Matt Reeves, he's famous. Uh, his first film was Cloverfield, but he also was a co-producer and co-creator with J.J. Abrams on a few of their shows, most notably um, Felicity with Carrie Russell, which is why she was cast in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. But he had a great de- directorial debut with Cloverfield, which we adored, and, and also with Let Me In, the remake of Let the Right One In. And he did, I I agree, I think that he improved the the trajectory of the franchise and the storytelling became much more mature. And I really like the direction he took it in. And also, like you mentioned with Andy Serkis, this movie, these three movies, they only work because of Andy Serkis and the amazing actor that he is. I think that he is undoubtedly one of the most talented actors alive, without question. And a lot of people over the last few years have become 
more they've recognized him and understand what he's done in terms of his acting but also there are a lot of people who don't know him by name or recognize him by his face because he does he i believe he's done 12 no not 12 i think he's done eight or nine motion capture roles in the past 12 years so he's done a lot of acting where he gets covered up by cgi but i think nowadays after these films especially and seeing behind the scenes and how they were promoting him to be a contender for best actor in a leading role i think people understood how important he was to the movie to making the cgi work and also how talented he is as an actor and before we continue if you want to support raiders of the lost podcast the best thing that you can do is share us with your family and friends and become a patron at patreon.com slash raiders of the lost podcast patrons get perks like personalized videos we send you a message you get to see our upcoming podcast schedule top tier patrons get a monthly shout out on the podcast to be immortalized forever and the best perk of all is every single patron has access to our bonus content and bonus episodes which post every tuesday head on over to our website raiders of the lost podcast.com to check out all of our sources of content our merch our custom movie posters follow subscribe hit the notification bells wherever you're listening and tuning in around the world and thank you so much and staying on mocap and motion capture and what andy circus did so this company weta digital they were pretty much in charge of this and again they've done everything from marvel king kong dc movies they're responsible for thanos de-aging gemini man with will smith and so what they would do is they would film the scenes normally with the actors on set or whether they're on a soundstage, especially in the first one. We're picking up camp, picking up audio, video, plus the actors would be in their motion capture suits with all the facial dots and recognition, plus some scenes they would have the, the camera mounted onto the headset as well. But also they would have around the set several motion capture reference cameras recording as well to pick up all the movements of the actors so that they could generate ape characters out of that. And so, but the most important camera I would say is the mocap camera on the the high speed mount helmet mount camera, which is in front of the actor's face, not in every shot, but it's in front of their face to really capture the exact facial movements and timing of these actors. And because, you know, you're trying to combine an ape a chimpanzee, a gorilla, an orangutan with a human. And, you know, apes obviously have different muscle structures and muscles than human beings in our faces. So it's kind of like trying to create the perfect blend where it seems natural and it looks like an ape, but also you're bringing the incredible emotions that human beings can express express through facial expressions. And also by the second and third films, what the Weta artists were doing were originally Caesar had a strictly chimpanzee-esque look to him. But by the second film, made his face look a little bit more like Andy Serkis. And mm -hmm. they applied his natural facial features to what they had already done to, to make it feel like that's Andy Serkis communicating to us on screen. You can definitely tell you're right. It looks more like Andy Serkis than the last Especially two. Especially by the third one. The first two, the CGI is amazing, but the third movie it is really astounding what they did with the CGI. And especially the fur. Fur has always been the most complicated thing to do uh, digitally with CGI hair or fur. That's why when Sully for Monsters, Inc., uh, when they came out with that movie, that was really revolutionary with what they were able to do by creating Sully because of they have to draw, every, they have to digital, digitize every single hair. But with this film, it wasn't just hair, but it was textures and soaking wet hair. Like when you see that opening battle scene in the chimpanzees and, and, and the gorillas and all the other kinds of apes are soaking wet, and, and there's snow in this movie as well. Just the, the way that the fur looks. And there are moments of this movie where you're just looking at like Maurice and you're like, that looks like a real animal. This is unbelievable what they did with this movie. It's, it's I, pro I would say the it could be the most stunning accomplishment of CGI of the last many couple of decades. For sure. And I mean, 
Rise, I mean, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, it came out in 2011. It's the first one. And we saw that, and it's astounding what they did and what they did with Caesar, and it looks so real. But then when you see the opening shots, especially of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, just the the immense change they've made, how much, how many steps forward they've taken with the technology, just because the first time we see Caesar, it's that close-up of just like his eyes inframed of his cheeks. And it's like, that looks like a real person or a real ape. And those eyeballs look extremely real. And then they improved even more in the third film with War for the Planet of the Apes. And just what it is really is the post-production software just became so much more advanced. And, you know, when you have more and more data coming in constantly. And so... The advancement of the technology for the mocap by Weta and then Imaginarium Productions is just phenomenal. And then, I mean, what they're doing today, I mean, they did uh, Snoke with Star Wars and just they do so many different characters in King Kong and uh, Godzilla. So it's incredible what they're doing. And it has to be done with motion capture. You can't just make these characters in the computer because if you do that, it takes away the performance. And that's the whole point of motion capture, to be able to have that spontaneity that an actor could put on set. When you put the actors on a set, it, whether it be a soundstage or an, or an actual environment, rather than just having CGI artists like follow a director's orders, be like, okay, have this monkey do that and have that ape do that. You have actual individual actors doing their own performances within each scene, and it brings so much to the character of each single ape and animal that it becomes a necessary way of making the movie. It would not work without motion capture. Yeah, and also there are a lot of unsung heroes on these movies, especially Terry Notary, who's a stunt coordinator, ape movement specialist, you could say, and a movement coach. And his career started as a performer in Cirque du Soleil, and his first job was the stunt movement coach for Jim Carrey and Dr. Seuss and How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And then he did some other films. And then Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes, he actually was like the movement specialist and expert for teaching the actors and everyone how to move like apes. And so he's kind of, like I said, like an when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply ape movement specialist and then he also did motion capture work and coaching for avatar but then they had him basically teaching the other actors how to do ape movements for the film for the planet of the apes trilogy and it's especially especially difficult because apes obviously have different skeletal structures they have very long arms and limbs compared to ours so in order to learn how to move like an ape they had to create arm extensions for walking and running like apes except for a lot of caesar by the time we're in the second and third film, he almost always just stands on his two feet, which is really interesting, and we'll get into his character and why he does that later on. But Terry Notary is definitely an unsung hero in these films. Yeah, 100%. And he actually he played Rocket in the movies. And he also played King Kong in the most recent King Kong movie. And But the writing of the scripts, I think, is really fantastic, how they came up with the concept of, yeah, just because the apes become intelligent, how do they take over the world? How do we get from here to the first Planet of the Apes movie where... You know, apes rule over the entire uh, continent. And apes origins. Apes or <laughs> of the apes origins. <laughs> but they came up with a great concept, a virus. You know, and and especially Donald Plenty Apes, it feels very much like it was 2020 in the world with the COVID-19 virus spreading across the globe. And the writers came up with the concept of, okay, so the apes gain intelligence, but how do they take out a six billion humans? It seems impossible. Yeah. What if the vir a virus that creates the apes 
also kills off nearly every single human being. So then you come up with a perfectly plausible idea of how this could happen, and, and you watch it play out, and you're like, yeah, I believe that. Totally yeah, could happen. So it's a really good idea. It's clever, and it works, and it, it's relevant to the world, obviously, even more. When you, when you watch it today, you're like, wow, this is pretty weird. Dude, obviously, yeah. COVID didn't kill the entire planet, but yeah. you know, it's still it's a pandemic, but extreme epic proportions compared to COVID. Exactly. And if you're watching on YouTube or on social media right now, you may have noticed that Anthony and I have brand new laptops on our desk. These are courtesy of LG. These are the 17-inch LG Gram ultra lightweight laptops. The cool thing about them is their 16-10 aspect ratio versus 16-9, which is what we usually get with laptops, meaning more vertical space. It's better for us for referring to notes and especially editing our podcast and audio for all of our platforms. Not to mention, these are shockingly light. They honestly, you, you can't tell looking at them, but when you feel them, it's it's unbelievable when you hold them. It feels like you're picking up a piece of cardboard. It's unbelievable. It's, it's incredible. And, and the screen is incredible the display is amazing watching movies on this is sensational yeah and we'll put clips we'll put links in our youtube bio below for the lg gram 16 and 17 inch models thank you lg and lg for the lg gram laptops and for sponsoring the show we really appreciate it but let's get back to planet of the apes and so in addition to obviously mocap i think andy circus because he's such a pioneer in this type of filmmaking and storytelling he gives like a near Shakespearean performance as Caesar throughout this trilogy. And what's so great about Andy is ra rather than like technology overwhelming him, and I'm sure a lot of actors could get overwhelmed by, you know, wearing the suit, wearing the helmet, putting the camera in front of your face. I'm sure you feel really goofy in that leotard on set with people. I mean, when you're shooting in lo on locations in the second two films, like in a leotard with dots all over your face, I'm sure it kind of, it's hard to get into character. But Andy, he takes the technology and he enhances it by bringing his soul and the performance of his art into the role fluidly to capture as and what they eventually make as a real looking ape. So he really pioneers not just the, the technology, but how to act with it as well. That's a great point about how you look because it's silly and it's kind of like, how do you take it the role seriously if you're wearing this getup with the camera like right in your face? And you read articles and interviews about actors who work on movies with like extravagant wardrobes and you're like, and they always say like, once I put the wardrobe on, like I, I pretty much did the acting for me. Like, yeah, like so, Amidala. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it, it immersed me in the character because I was wearing their clothes. So that helps so much. Whereas this is the opposite of that. Not only are you just not wearing the character's clothes, but you're wearing a uncomfortable leotard covered in dots with the camera and helmet on top of you and you still have to give a great performance so i think it takes a certain level of skill to be able to uh, immerse yourself in the moments that andy circus can yeah and i think what he does on set is he makes other actors understand and realize that you know it's it's all about eyes it's just keep eye contact we're using our imaginations in general when we're acting and in, in making films because it's all about imagination it's all an illusion it's all fake it's all you know created a story that is impossible to actually happen you know so we have to just use our imaginations and move past it and you know andy circus says caesar easily his best role i mean gollum is probably the most iconic because that character is just so interesting and complex and ridiculous but caesar is such a strong character that we've seen in film over the last two decades and I think what makes him different from the others is Caesar is really an outsider to both the apes and the humans for the majority of the trilogy. You know, he doesn't fully fit in with the humans because he's an ape, even though he's just about as intelligent as humans, but he doesn't fit in with the with the apes either when he first meets them because, you know, he's humanized, you could say. He's like wearing clothes and sweatpants and they bully him, but he's very intelligent. He's a natural leader. He's a visionary and he's constantly evolving just like his species is. It, he And it, different from Gollum, what makes Caesar 
a better character because Gollum is amazing, mm -hmm. one of the best villains ever. But he doesn't transform at all. He doesn't change. He's just a, he's what's called a flat character. He almost changes, but his dual personality—it's like yeah. he, he's almost on that does. cliff. Yeah, he never goes over the edge though. But for the whole part, he just remains the same, mm -hmm. constant. Whereas Caesar, he transforms through every film. From the first film, you, you have him judging, questioning his humanity and whether he's like an animal or an individual being, and then going from the bottom of the social status to the leader of the apes. And then in the, in the second movie, he makes the fatal flaw of thinking that apes are better than humans which leads to their downfall he also loses his leadership and which he gains back by the end of the film and then he understands that humans are not so different from apes and that they aren't superior and then by the third one he loses his his humanity and soul in a lot of ways because of the murders of his family and he goes on a, a revenge tour which ultimately ends in failure by him allowing his people to get caught by the colonel so his character goes through major transformations with each movie i like revenge tour i yeah. wonder if you can get like a, a band a band t-shirt for that revenge tour caesar 2020 we're coming to your town next <laughs> but caesar is so interesting because of course he has this intelligence but Throughout the course of the trilogy, he seems to become, I wouldn't say more human, but he's like using more human characteristics where, you know, he starts with sign language when he's talking to Will in the first film. Then he's speaking with sign language with like uh, Maurice at first. And the, the other apes learn sign language through them, too. And he speaks a little bit, and, but I mean, he doesn't say his first line until the end of the first film. Uh, he does say no in the first film before no. that. But then... um. In, in uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and then War for the Planet of the Apes, he eventually only moves and transitions to speaking only, even when talking to the rest of the apes when they sign to him. So it's a really interesting characteristic. And also, besides only speaking, he only stands on his two feet, pretty much. Yeah, I think that's a development of his intelligence in terms of the speaking, also learning how to vocalize because they aren't human. So it's probably much more difficult for him to say words. And then also standing upright because he was raised by humans, which sets him apart, like you said, from the other apes. And then other other apes also speak a lot. You could say Koba speaks a ton because he is clearly very intelligent as well. So I think it well, depends on the intelligence level of apes. And also I think Maurice, um, not being less intelligent, but I think maybe Maurice, that kind of um, orangutan. orangutan, maybe it's difficult for them to vocalize. The thing with that, so... When you watch the trilogy, the apes who speak are the apes who have spent the most time with human beings. So Maurice knew sign language. He was taught that by humans. Koba knows how to speak because he spent more time with the humans than anybody because he was tortured by them yeah, for so but long. Kobe, but Maurice only says a couple of words throughout the entire trilogy. But but true, but he doesn't spend a ton of time with humans. Yeah. It, I'm talking vocalizing, though. No, I know, I, I know. It might depend on the, like, the physicality. But then we can talk about snow. I mean, no, not snow, winter, mm -hmm. where winter... He becomes a donkey for the human beings, so he spends a lot of time with human beings. That's why he's able to speak as well eventually later on. So mm -hmm. I, I view it as the more that the apes speak or, or converse with human beings, they're more acclimated to speaking and learn how to speak. Yeah, possibly. Especially yeah. the, the apes Cobra, that, yeah. And then War for the Planet of the Apes, the, the apes that kind of work for the humans, they seem to be able to talk, especially the one that gets captured, he can speak as well. And yeah. I think that's because he's integrated with humans. Yeah, and the thing that maybe most people aren't aware of how how dangerous the idea of a uh, hyper-intelligent ape or chimpanzee is because of how strong they are. They are, what are they, four or five times the strength of a, of a very strong man, at least. And they the what they can do physically is just not even close. It's, it's leaps and bounds more than what humans can do. So it is possible, like, if apes become hyper-intelligent, they would 
beat the crap out of us, no problem. Well, even a they, chimpanzee. They would physically dominate. Yeah, a chimpanzee would physically dominate you, no I would, problem. I would honestly be terrified to be in a, yeah. in a room with a chimpanzee, even yeah. one that's like chill and like in normal yeah. to They're human beings. They're so strong. It's it's incredible. Rip your arm off, yeah. dude. No, no joke. Mm-hmm. But Caesar, again, very great and interesting character. Also, a fun fact about Andy Serkis. While filming and playing Caesar, he would wear heavy weights on his ankles and wrists to have that sense of tension always pulling on his arms to kind of feel like what it's like to have some such very long and heavy limbs because chimp arms and gorilla arms, they're huge. They're massive with muscle, but also they're like at least like 40% longer than a human's arm. Yeah, and apparently from what I've read about him, he keeps himself in extremely good physical condition to for any roles that he gets like this and other roles to be able to perform the physicality of whatever is called upon him. Yeah, it's, all of his roles are very physical for yeah. sure. And Caesar, I see similarities between him and three other characters in particular. The first one is Spartacus, who was also a slave, a warrior, and a leader, and eventually led the escape of the uh, gladiators. Solomon came from 12 Years a Slave, is that his last name? King. Solomon Northup. So, sorry. Solomon Northup from 12 Years a Slave, who is a, music, a musician and artist and also a slave like Caesar, you could say in a way, is at some points in the films. And the thing with Solomon, like Caesar, he has very high intelligence. He's an artist, but he's constantly um, controlled and can't flex those muscles or express himself that way or or use the intelligence or, art, or artist, art, artistry inside of him. And then Michael Corleone, I see a lot of in Caesar because <laughs> Corleone, like Caesar, is a person or being that's destined to be a king in his own right, in his family. He's he's very powerful, calculating, methodical, he's family-centric, and he's constantly trying to build and protect. But there's the huge difference between Michael and Caesar is Michael chooses the path of darkness right from the get-go, whereas Caesar always chooses the path of uh, being a pacifist, of trying to make the right decision and trying to spare lives, whereas Michael will ruthlessly kill his own brother if he has to. Well, spare ape lives. He yeah. does kill humans. Yeah, not yeah, not yeah. always on purpose. Like, he accidentally electrocutes Dodge, but yeah. he doesn't know it's going to But he often him. spares humans and, yeah. and prevents other apes from killing other humans. Yeah, and he, the motto, ape not kill ape, which yeah. we'll get to later on. Yeah. And, yeah, these are phenomenal films, and I can't wait to get into them. So you want to just start with Rise? Let's go. All right, so Rise of the Planet of the Apes came out in 2011. This was directed by Rupert Wyatt. Again, he only did the first film. And what I love about this film tell, is tell me. It's, it's like a mashup of genres. You know, we have the, like, medical drama, medical genre, which is fun. Then we have the great sci-fi elements with, you know, talking ape. I mean, intelligent apes. And then it's like a prison break at the end of the film and almost like an all-out war. So, again, this one's very similar to Spartacus where we have this great prison break that leads to an escape, you could say, of a mass amount of people. And what's really cool about Rise is that it's actually kind of very much a reflection of the original Planet of the Apes. So the original apes starred Charlton Heston and uh, famously, like we all know the story, he crash lands on, on the planet and, and he's held captive by apes. And what happens is Caesar in this movie uh, very much mirrors the trials and tribulations that Charlton Heston goes through, whether it be being in prison, being hosed down, being physically abused, like all sorts, all, all these things that happen to Caesar, they actually happen to Charlton Heston's character in the original one. So I think that they purposely mirrored that movie in into this one but from the point of view of the original ape, which I think was really brilliant. And the entire trilogy and the story really starts off with Bright Eyes. And Bright Eyes, who is Caesar's mother, 
was an evolved female chimpanzee who gets captured in the wild. And when she's captured, they realize that she has these very green eyes, which chimpanzees you have your mother's to have. eyes. Yeah, <laughs> you have your mother's eyes. I know, Harry. Um, <laughs> they know. <laughs> but it. But the thing with with her eyes, she looks almost human with her eyes. That's what they look like. You can see the intelligence, and they learn that bright eyes is an exceptionally intelligent chimpanzee who has evolved above the others and she's held captive but she goes through all those tests that will is putting her through because will at the same time played by james franco he's trying to develop a cure for alzheimer's and so he's trying to use chimpanzees and their intelligence to create a serum to to cure alzheimer's because his father we learn is going through alzheimer's he's losing his memory he's fading away i thought it was a great way of getting james franco's character will into the story because He's driven by, you know, a really emotional need to find this cure and you're behind him because he's trying to save his father's life and also the lives of millions of people every year. And so you're definitely behind the the idea of trying to come up with the serum, even if it means, you know, doing testing on animals. Ultimately, it's a necessary evil to to solve this horrible crisis in humanity. So you definitely get behind his character for sure. And you really love, I think this is one of James Franco's best roles, honestly. Yeah, and Genesis is the corporation where Will works and that conducts all these kinds of experiments and tests on monkeys and chimpanzees. And I mean, Bright Eyes is just labeled chimp number nine at first, you know, before given the drugs, for the, before she's given ALZ-1112 for the first time, which increases her me- mental capabilities. But soon Bright Eyes kind of accidentally escapes her enclosure when she's trying to be lured out by those other scientists. And at the same time, Will is giving his presentation. And unfortunately, she barges in. They think she's attacking people and she gets shot. It's really a dramatic and emotional scene because not only does Bright Eyes die, but we learn that she had a secret child at the same time that she was really just protecting. A forbidden love. It's, it's so sad because, you know, she was the mate of the Alpha in her in her original whatever clan or yeah, and colony. They, they called Caesar's dad Alpha. Mm-hmm. And... Also, what happened in that sequence when she escaped was that scientist guy, I can't remember his name, he was accidentally exposed to the uh, serum it, the serum um, it through the air because he didn't have his mask on. I know, right? <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Fauci would have been like, you didn't have your mask. You need to have your you mask, mask when mask. you're experimenting on chimpanzees. <laughs> you should really have your mask and social distance when you experiment on chimpanzees. <laughs> yeah, that hurts my throat. That was a good Fauci. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> this movie's so relevant. <laughs> but but Will uh, takes Caesar in. Well, he names him Caesar after his father comes up with the idea, but... What's really beautiful about this movie and it informs Caesar as a character for the rest of the movies is really this relationship with Will, with Will as a surrogate father and how they grow and how Will teaches him and he creates a home for Caesar in this place and it's a really, really endearing moment of the film and I really adore it and you can understand, like I said, it informs Caesar how he treats humans in the other films, why other apes don't really understand why Caesar views humans not as horrible beings and like he said he calls malcolm a good man just like uh you know just like will was so he was a good man like like you (laughs) (laughs) he understands that unlike ape unlike the uh, most of the intelligent apes later on the films who view humans as enemies only he understands that 
there are bad humans, but then there are also a lot of good humans who are just like the apes. Just, yeah. Just trying to do the right thing. And you could say this adolescent phase of Caesar has its ups and downs. It's very cute to see him like in a sweater and just running around and getting... And you can tell that he's highly intelligent. He's even probably more intelligent than his mother was because he was the offspring of that chimp who had the serum herself. And so he's just has boosted intelligence compared to even her. And, you know, we get the fast forwards to three years later when Will's father is getting worse and then Will just has to just decide to just test the serum on his father, which seems to cure him. But also, um, Caesar's growing. He wants to go outside. He's stuck. He's sick of being inside that attic. And he has that experience where he, he escapes through the, the window up front. Or he escapes the attic to go play with that kid. He just wants to have fun and play with the kid. And that a dad attacks him. He gets his first injury. Yeah. And But this, this makes Will realize I need him to get him out of the house mm -hmm. somehow. And so he takes them up to the Redwood Forest out after the Golden Gate Bridge. And this is a really, really smart sequence where Caesar climbs his first Redwood tree. And it's a, a really great sequence where he begins swinging and jumping around all the branches in the forest. And this also becomes a montage and shows him aging until he's uh, five years have passed. And he's become probably, you could say, an adult chimp, maybe just before adulthood, like late yeah. adolescence. But he is very much independent, very, very intelligent. But it's also complicated for him because as much as he loves Will and their relationship, he has to wear a leash and a collar when he goes out to the park and... And he questions, he's beginning to question his humanity and his purpose. And he's worried that he, he doesn't understand, am I a pet or am, or am I Caesar? Because he sees that dog. Yeah, he sees that dog also on the leash and collar. So he's he's looking at the dog like I'm like the dog. So it's complicated what's going on inside his head. But also, I, before he ages the five years later, one of my favorite moments is when Caesar asks permission of Will to explore the forest. And that's the first time we get the instance of the ape holding out his hand to get permission from the alpha of the family to do what he does. And that comes into play so much more later on with Caesar and when he gets loyalty from all the other apes and chimpanzees and gorillas and everything. Yeah. And so, yeah, it is sad because as intelligent as Caesar is, again, he's just as intelligent as a human being would be at that age, maybe even more intelligent with how young he is at that young adolescent stage. Am I... Am I an equal to you? Are you? My, I know you say you're. My, I'm your. You, I know you say you're my father, Will. But who am I really? And then he takes he takes Caesar to the lab to show him where his mother died. She he tells her him the truth, and it's an emotional moment for Caesar because his world's kind of shattered when he learns about he just came out of a lab, really. And he goes on like that. You could say hunger striking away. He won't eat the food, but and at the same time, as Caesar kind of being angsty about his his situation, which he rightfully is. Will's father is declining even more and more into his Alzheimer diagnosis and disease. So what, what's happening is his uh, immune system is fighting the virus, the, the um, antidote off. And so he needs to come up with a new formula for the antidote. But what happens is anyone who's dealt with someone who has Alzheimer's is very difficult. And John Lithgow's character, very confused, gets into someone else's car and crashes in and causes a disturbance. And then... And then the neighbor starts attacking him and yelling at him. And then Caesar, thinking that he's in trouble, attacks the neighbor and bites his finger off. I think that this is a hallmark to, to Gollum biting off Frodo's finger. I oh, think yeah. they threw that in yeah, probably. as a calling card to that because Andy Serkis played both characters. My precious. <laughs> <laughs> Gollum, Gollum destroyed the ring, guys. Again, this is how strong chimpanzees are. They can just bite your finger off with yeah, no, no problem. problem. But then the whole, the whole idea of Caesar living there, it was... It was finite. It wasn't going to last forever. Yeah. It was in inevitable that something would happen or for some reason he would have to leave. And unfortunately, it happened under dire circumstances. And 
legally, Will is forced to bring him to that ape shelter. And this is the moment in the trilogy where the POV, instead of being on Will, it really just, it shifts to Caesar now. You know, we're basically following him as the main character, where you could say Will was the main character up until this point in the first film. Definitely. And Caesar's POV at first is, is really sad. You know, he's in this facility where he, he's actually excited to be in there at first because it's really cool. It's like it a looks playground. cool. It's got a playground, yeah. but then he's abandoned by Will there. You know, he's he's with all these other apes and chimps that he doesn't and, know. And he's led into a cage where yeah. he will spend tricked, most of his time. Tricked into a, an even smaller cage by Dodge, who's just played by Tom Felton brilliantly. He's so good at playing villains. I'm, I mean, he's he's awesome in this. Yeah, he's Draco without an accent. And so Caesar not only has been abandoned by his family, by his father and his girlfriend, the vet, but he's also <laughs> been... Um, Caesar's girlfriend or... No, Will's girlfriend, <laughs> no, the vet. Okay. <laughs> Does that in the park. But... um. <laughs> Caesar's also, you know, being bullied by the other apes. And I think it's Rocket, or is it Rocket Rash? I can't remember, who is like the alpha of the group. And he rips off Caesar's shirt and bullies him. And, and Caesar's kind of afraid of everyone at first. And, and he tries to shake their hands. And then Rocket's like, yo, bro, we don't do that here. I don't know what you're doing. What are you, a human? Get out of here. This is a really, it's, it's the way that ape culture is. There is a hierarchy and the most dominant ape is the leader, and they do really do the, that hand gesture of showing dominance to the alpha male. And it's a difficult situation because Caesar doesn't know that. He doesn't know what the culture is like. He only knows human culture. And so, but luckily, because of his intelligence, he he figures out a way of gaining the advantage of freeing himself from the prison, from the cages, but then also uh, aiding the other apes, especially the big gorilla to become allies with him. So he understands, he uses his mind, if I get an ally, of, if I make an ally out of the gigantic ape, I can take over as the alpha male because yeah. he'll be hell off my back. I'm with that guy. Yeah. You see that that six foot guy that's 700 pounds? Yeah. That's my dude. That's me. <laughs> but, um, and also interestingly, Caesar, you know, when he's down in his dumps before he becomes, becomes alpha, he communicates with Maurice through sign language through the cages, which is really a, a sweet moment for him because they, they have that laugh and Caesar gets a moment of joy. But again, it's his intelligence that leads him to become the alpha. It leads him to outsmart all the all of his captors. And at the same time, this is when Koba is being tested out even more with the serum. And he writes Jacob with the writing of the doctor's name. But also this is, again, where the scientist gets infected and starts to spread the what will become the Literally simian. sneezes blood on his neighbor. What kind of That's scientist horrible. doesn't have his yeah. mask? You must have your mask if you're, if you're doing <laughs> ape, ape tests. You have to have your mask on and keep socially distanced from apes at all times. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, he's not even letting anyone know that he's sick. Like, come on, bro. Yeah, <laughs> a scientist sneezing blood on some guy's face. I'll, f I'll be fine. I'll be fine. <laughs> it's nothing. It's allergies. <laughs> but this is also where we're learning about Coben how horribly he's been treated by human beings, which will become a flaw of his and, and just something that he'll never be able to overcome throughout the course of the films where he can never, ever forgive human beings for what they've done to him. And I don't blame him, honestly. Yeah, he went through turmoil for years under the, under torture. And, and also, Caesar uses his intelligence to break out of the shelter and understanding that he, it's more important to to save his kind now to to free these other apes because this this is essentially his family, not yeah. humans. That's a great point because he becomes alpha and now he wants to have he wants to lead an escape. And this is also the same time where Will comes back and bribes the caretaker with money to get Caesar out. 
And Caesar won't go with Will. He's like, no, homie. I'm staying here with my dogs. <laughs> <laughs> These are my dudes. Because <laughs> he wants to Rough help. riders. Them. He's going to stay there and help them escape because they're his family now. And he's understanding that. Yeah, and so he steals the serum from Will. And then he unleashes it upon the other apes. And just like him, uh, the next morning, their eyes turn green. So they have adapted this hyper intelligence i love when the caretaker like looks in and they're all standing and yeah. just listening to caesar and he's like what the hell is going on well, in there ryan cox too yeah he's great but he's he's so ignorant he's like i get that's kind of weird but i don't know it's just a bunch of apes yeah i mean what would you say <laughs> you wouldn't think that they're actually communicating communicating and before he actually will comes back i think one of the most emotional parts of the film is when caesar erases the window that he drew with chalk on the wall it's it's a really powerful moment because he he the first time he draws that chalk window it's to comfort himself and you know he wants to feel at home he wants to feel like he's in his room and puts his face and rests against that chalk but then you know after being abandoned by will for so long he he scrubs it away and that's really i think the moment where he realized i'm not human that's not my father he was the father figure but i'm an ape yeah and that symbol will actually come into play in the sequel we'll talk about that in a little, oh, yeah. in a little bit super cool but anyways they they escape and they, you have just apes rampaging across the city but i really love the shot they're in a nice suburban neighborhood and there are these really big trees along the street and there are kids like riding their bikes or some something kids do and then they see and then <laughs> something kids do <laughs> and all of a sudden like in the distance hundreds and thousands of leaves are just scattering off the trees and then you see the apes are are moving through from tree to tree through the neighborhood such an amazing moment i love yeah, it yeah it's pretty wild i think one of the best moments in the film also is when they're escaping and Caesar takes out Dodge because Dodge is just such a evil, despicable character. He's constantly tricking Caesar, tormenting him. He gives him that gruel to eat. He's he's just so mean to him. And then, and he uses the 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 fire hose on him. And then Caesar turns it on him and he electrocutes him, which is pretty pretty awesome. He got his karma. Very redeeming. Yeah. And then there's that epic, just the epic battle on the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. It's a great conclusion. And you know, it's an all-out war at this point. And what's great is we have. Like the giant gorilla sacrifices himself to save Caesar because yeah. I think they all realize that Caesar's the leader, so they have to try to take him out. Yeah, they're all they're devoted to him. He he freed them not only their their bodies but their minds. You know what I mean? They understand that he gave them the intelligence. He he is Morpheus. Yeah, I was about to say he's like Morpheus. <laughs> <laughs> You've been unplugged. I can't tell you what it is. I have to show. Or no, I unplug you. No one can be told what the Matrix is. They have to be shown. Something like that. Yeah. How about that Matrix Resurrections? Oh, man. We'll talk about that some other yeah. time this week. Oh, yeah. But, you know, Rise ends with Will tracking down Caesar in the woods. And... Oh, but first we get a hint at Koba, his, uh, oh, his, his future as the villain, where he murders the 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 head of the medical facility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you, you think at the moment, it's like, oh, he's just, he's just, he deserved that, but you don't realize he that. He enjoyed it. He enjoyed the yeah. hell out of it. Like a, like a sociopath, you could say. And he even tries to kill Will, but Caesar saves him yeah. at first. And then the final moments between Will and Caesar are very powerful as well because Will's like, come, you should come home with me. Let's let's go back home. We'll figure this out. But Caesar's like, we can watch Fairly Odd Parents. <laughs> uh, he says his first line sentence, in English to Willie says, Caesar is home. Caesar is home. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Franco's reaction. It's great. He's like, oh my God. Jack, yeah, he, he just he, spoke. He did a good job. And Will understands, you know, this is where he's meant to be. He's supposed to be here. And he even kind of asks Will for, for permission again. He looks at him and waits for Will to nod at him to go on and, and continue his path as leader of the apes. Yeah, Will, Will is still his alpha and still his father. You know what I mean? And then the movie ends 
first with Caesar looking off into the distance at the city while he's in the forest, and then and then also the spreading of the virus is the end credits, which is a great way to end the movie where they show all the, the flight. It's a pilot ends up being the one who's sick. Yeah, <laughs> of course. And he goes straight to an airport. <laughs> what is <laughs> the worst possible moment? You know, COVID has expedited a lot of things like digital work and like all sorts of things. But I think people, when they're sick, they're going to stay home from now on. Oh, yeah, for sure. Especially because of what's going on. But this movie is like a clear example of like, if you got a cold, just stay home. But it's crazy the way they show the, the they visually show the spread across the globe mm-hmm. is through flight, plat, flight, yeah. uh, flight channels. It's really clever. Great. And now before we get into the next film. Let's talk about our sponsor, Manscaped. And as an ape, Caesar doesn't have to worry about <laughs> grooming himself to attract a mate, but you probably should. I can just hear the lack of personal grooming in your life through these headphones and just you listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Head on over to manscaped.com and get the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer using our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Anthony's holding back a laugh so hard right now. The brand new groomer is waterproof, skin safe, has a 7,000 RPM motor, wireless charger, built in light. It's amazing, fellas. You got to get a manscaped. Everyone listening, if you got a man in your life, you don't know what to get them for a present, a gift for a holiday, anniversary, whatever. Get them something from Manscaped. This is stuff we'll actually use, like their Performance Package 4.0. It's a bundle of their of their products with like their Weed Whacker, their Men's Wipes, Deodorizers, Boxer Briefs. Everything's great. We, we use it all. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Caesar will be happy. Gonna make Caesar happy. Yes, sir. Gonna make that ape <laughs> in your life happy. Do you want to go into intermission before we do the final two? Let's go, man. All right, let's do Let's yeah. just bang the intermission Yeah, out. it's been 40 minutes. This is going to be a long one, which is great because yeah. th- this, these films deserve to be talked about in depth. Yeah. All right, let's go to our intermission, and we'll start off with our movie quote competition. I have two as usual, one for me and one for my fan. This is from Faco Costia. You are, uh, I'm the devil, and I'm here to do, do the, the devil's, devil's bidding. bidding. Nah, I was dumber than that. <laughs> Once upon a time in Hollywood. Yes. That's great. And then this is another one. I seek means... To fight injustice, to turn fear <laughs> against those who prey on the fearful. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce Wayne and Batman begins. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one because it's not like a popular one. Yeah, yeah. That, that from he, that movie. From the movie. All right, here's mine. <clears throat> God, I'd give anything for a drink. I'd give my goddamn soul just for a glass of beer. Oh, I just did this last episode. The Shining. Yeah. Jack Torrance. Yeah. At the bar. At the bar. All right. What's your movie release year? Oh, actually, it's not a movie. I picked a TV show. Oh, here we go. What year did Dexter premiere? 2006. Yeah. Nice. Please. I watched that from the first episode. <laughs> Please. Man, those first two seasons of that show are They were gold. great. Very good. Although the filmmaking is horrible. <laughs> it's, it's not like, horrible, but it's, it's horrible. I guess it probably is. It had like no money. It Showtime, two thousand six, yeah, man. Digital cameras, but the opening credits, iconic, great, great opening, credits. iconic, great opening song too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, did you know? Did you see that they made? There's a trailer for the new season coming yeah, out. Yeah, it looks so cool. Yeah, I was like, sign me up. Yeah, hell yeah, let's go. Love to. All right, here's mine. Movie release year. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Nineteen seventy-eight, seventy-five. Ugh. All right, let's move into our pop quiz. What do you got for me? I went all Jack with this one. Okay, so. My quiz question is, how many Oscar nominations does Jack Nicholson have? Twelve. Yeah. Nice. My guy, dude. You know how many wins he has? I want to say f- four. Three. Three. 
I don't think anyone has four. Four is a lot. All right. According to the film Elf, what are the four main food groups of elves? (laughs) That's a good question. (laughs) Candy, one. Candy corn, two. Sugar, no. No. Syrup, three. (laughs) And um, marshmallows. Candy canes. Candy canes. We we elves try to stick to the four main food groups. (laughs) Candy, candy corns. Candy cane and syrup. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's so goddamn funny. That's a great quiz. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. All right. <laughs> I forgot there were three candy ones. All right. Uh, do you have a hater of the week? I do. Let me uh, let me pull up this hater. I also have one too. Do you need a moment to pull it up? I can say I w- mine. I would love a moment. All right. So mine was on our last samurai episode. We posted a bunch of clips on TikTok, obviously, and one of them was this kid. He he said. We said that Tom Cruise is not the last samurai. It's it's uh, the entire clan or the last samurai. And this kid wrote, uh, no, samurai is not pluralized. So how could it possibly be multiple people as samurai? And pal, samurai is the plural of samurai. It's Japanese, bro. Here's your sign. Relax. Goodness. Goodness. Jeez Louise. <laughs> And someone even said it should have been titled The Last of the Samurai. And it was like, that's still the same thing. Same thing. Same title. (laughs) All right, here's my hater. Uh, I can't remember. Okay, it was a a Spider-Man clip. And Chipotle. Chipotle? Chipotle. T-R-I-P-P. I I wish Chipotle would follow us. That would be a fun sponsor to have. Hey, Chipotle, send us some gift cards. uh, No, let's get a sponsorship, some free burrito bowls. Let's go. Free burritos, yeah. (laughs) Chipotle wrote... I can make a better podcast with my eyes closed. Unsubscribed. Oh, man. You totally got us, pal. <laughs> <laughs> my guy. Thanks for the support. Got another one or no? I have a top comment. Well, I'll do biggest supporter while you find that. Cool. It's from Save Polar Bears 7. It's a, it's a review. Love it. As a person who wants to go into filmmaking, it's very fun to hear a lot about the behind-the-scene work in all movies and what the meanings are throughout the films. I think it would be cool if you guys did an episode all about Pixar from the studio started to where they are now. Thanks so much for the review and the five stars. We love it so much. Great recommendation. We actually did um, the first 10 films of Pixar. And in that episode, we did talk about like the history of Pixar and how it was formed. Yeah, th- I think that was in the 20s episode number. Yeah, so that was a while ago. That was, that was a long time that ago. Was winter last year. So yeah. I, would, I would definitely scroll down our episode list and you'll definitely find the Pixar episode. Or just go on YouTube and search uh, Raiders of the Lost Podcast Pixar. Yeah, you'll it'll find... take you right to it. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, it's it just... a really good episode. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was a banger. All right, my top comment is Hunter Query. I literally had to Google to see that Ken Watanabe wasn't in Pirates of the Caribbean. It was, in fact, Chow Yun Fat. So he as well got the mixed up. It's because of the makeup in the, I was in the correct. wardrobe. And you correct. were right. I was correct. And he said, you got me again. They look so similar with that costume. Great podcast. Love the movie. Unsubscribed, just so I could resubscribe. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that helps the, in the algorithms. <laughs> and yes, thank you. Thank you, Hunter, for resubscribing. And yes, comments in the YouTube videos definitely do help with the algorithms. Thank you so much. Today is September 2nd. So on this day in film history, Bing Crosby made his radio debut in 1931. Oh, wow. Being John Malkovich came out in 1999, directed by Spike Jones. Keanu Reeves was born. Salma Hayek was born. And J.R.R. Tolkien passed away on this day. Some good birthdays. Yeah. My streaming recommendation this episode is 
on Netflix is Batman The Killing Joke, which came out in 2016. It is a phenomenal animated film based on the comic of the same name. I don't think I've seen it, it's but really I've good. read it. I got the comic. In yeah, room if you yeah want I to read it. it. I read it. Yeah, it's really good. That's when I said when I said I read it, I meant I read it. But I, sometimes <laughs> you say you read things, but honestly, I didn't know you could read. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you could read <laughs> at a second grade level. <laughs> you might be able to handle it. Oh, no, cool. You can, Sweet. You can. It's mostly pictures, right? <laughs> <laughs> Technically, space per page. Yeah, it's pictures. <laughs> My streamer recommendation is on Amazon Prime, and it's The Neon Demon oh. by Nicholas Winding Refn. It is a really crazy movie. It's just madness and out of control and great cinematography and just super weird but edgy. And I think it's a really bizarre movie. Yeah, we're huge reference fans. And I mean, ever since Drive was a big commercial success in Hollywood, really, you could say. But before that, and then Valhalla Rises and... and Valhalla Rising. Valhalla Rising, sorry. I can tell how big of a fan you are. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since I saw that one. That was a while ago, that one. Yeah. Um, 2007. <laughs> Only God Forgives is Bronson. a great, great film. So he's a super talented dude, and that's a trippy movie. And he actually, he made that TV show too that starred Miles Terror. What was it? Teller. To Live and Die in LA. Yeah, was that what it's called? Yeah. And yeah, anyways. He actually, he discovered Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, with the Pusher trilogy. Yeah. So if you love Mads Mikkelsen, it's because Nicholas Winning Refn cast him in his movie. You're welcome. All right, is that it for our intermission? That's all. Let's head back into the show and talk about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which came out in 2014. And this was the film, first one directed by Matt Reeves. And again, Rupert Wyatt dropped out of the sequel, you know, citing lack of development, time scheduling pressures, and probably creative differences. Matt Reeves was like, yo, put me in, coach. Yeah, let's go. I'm I ready. got this. I'm ready. I'm he ready. Needs three years? Give me, give me two months. I'll get you a script. <laughs> Here's a treatment. Give me some money. <laughs> and what I love about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is this is practically a silent film. There's very minimal dialogue spoken throughout even the first half hour of this movie. A lot of sign language, obviously. But it's it's a story because we talk about it all the time that you don't need dialogue to tell a story. Obviously, great dialogue is so amazing to listen to, but you can tell a story without it. And they do with this film. And this movie, like you said, it has really great filmmaking. And a sign of that is definitely the opening shot and uh, what I I love when filmmakers bookend their movies with images. And generally, sometimes if they like to, it's the same image. So this movie opens on Caesar's face and he's covered in the war paint. And this is right before they're going to hunt those deer. And so it's a hunting party. And then so it starts on a close up on his eyes. And then the camera pulls out and we see that there are a bunch of other apes in the trees with him waiting on his command. That's the opening shot. And then the movie ends with a zoom in on Caesar's eyes when after he, he has gained leadership of the apes again and the building has been destroyed and the apes are going to leave the city, the camera pushes in from a wide shot into Caesar's eyes and it and ends on a close-up of his eyes. So Matt Reeves bookended the movie with the same images, but they have different re- meanings and also the world has changed from one image to the other image. We love a bookend. Gone Girl is another great example of a bookend with exactly. a close-up of face. But before that, actually, we have the really great credits where... Oh, yeah, great title credits. We learn about the simian flu in the outbreak throughout the entire world where at first it's like, oh, we'll be able to contain it, but then it's just out of control and rampant. And I felt like I was watching the news in 2020. Survival rate was so is so low and pretty much... Most of the world is dead and di- dies from the flu. And it's just like how you said it was very clever how they did it with the the spreading of the virus with the uh, flight paths on the globe. 
uh, what Matt Reeves did to show the loss of life and loss of communication throughout the entire planet was the globe shot of Earth from around from from space with all the lights going out throughout every country and all the developed nations and cities throughout the entire world. So all the light pollution just disappears. Yeah. So that's how many people have been have died. And there are humans left probably all across the globe, but very few of them, so few that the cities are completely destroyed and there's no governments, no organization at all that we know of. We'll learn that, you know, there are maybe there is a small army up north that will come. They'll call for help from. But ultimately, you know, humans are in disarray. And it's a moment where not only have the vast majority of humans died, but now the remaining humans are living without power, without electricity, without technology, without TikTok. In at war. Yeah. <laughs> but I love this movie because the humans are kind of in the same situation as the apes. All the, though the apes are much better suited to living in nature, uh, hunting and gathering. And in this movie, I love how they have that opening hunting scene with the apes. And apes actually are omnivores. They have carnivorous um, hunts all the time in, in nature and certain kinds of apes. So it's not something that is unheard of for apes. But I thought that... It was really smart to show that they're eating meat in this movie rather than just vegetation. Yeah, I think that ties to the, you know, intelligence with the brain. I think it's I'm pretty sure it's believed by biologists and archaeologists and scientists that, you know, one of the factors for human beings developing such high cognitive function in larger brains was from eating animal product eventually from when they started to evolve. So I think that's probably why it's really interesting to see because we usually just think of apes eating fruits and nuts and seeds and berries and all that stuff, but it's really cool. And because it's an epic hunt scene, it's like, it's it's pretty cool. And then, um, but what's the difference I would say between Rise versus Dawn? I mean, yeah, Rise versus Dawn is I would say the CGI has been just so much more advanced. It's incredible what they did in this film com compared to the first one, which already looked phenomenal. But also, they shot 99% of this movie, motion capture, everything, on location, outdoors, in rainforests in Vancouver, also in New Orleans. So the mocap sets in design, production design, the mocap actors, their suits, the cameras, it all got put outdoors. And there's the first, I think it was the first film that was actually motion capture filmed outdoors. It was. Yes. I You're knew. right. Yeah, thanks. Good job. Thanks, bro. And that makes all the difference in the world for the production, but also for the actors to feel like they're they're actually in the sets. They're not in front of a, a big green screen or like shooting like Avatar style in a warehouse, you know, trying to imagine everything. Yeah. So it makes all the difference. And then post-production has just improved so much, much better facial mapping, improved immense. The ma facial mapping improved immensely. You know, it really brought the authenticity of the performers and actors to the CGI rendering of the apes. And also I thought I knew I thought it was smart where they started this story because the original plans by the studio was to have this set much further in the future where apes are a lot more advanced and Caesar isn't even the lead of the movie. He has a, a he's more of just like a leader of the community and the story was going to follow other apes. But that I would have been lame. Yeah, so I think Matt Reeves understood that the story is Caesar. This is Caesar's story. Like there's no point telling the story without having Caesar front and center. And so they said it just a couple of a, a few years after the events of the first film, and I love how the apes have established this their own world in the forest, like their own community and the architecture that they've built. It's it's really fascinating. And, and Caesar is the leader and he's got a lady now. And he's got a kid and, you know, other apes are having families. And there's, there's Maurice's teachings 
classes and educating the young chimps and apes. And I think it was really fascinating the culture that they created for the apes in this world. Yeah. And speaking of culture, you immediately see culture. The first shot of Caesar that you're talking about, you know, with the war paint, like you brought up, you know, that is culture. That is these these intelligent beings are hunting and they're going to war. So they put on war paint. You know, it's like the Joker getting ready and getting getting suited up. And I also the first shot and the first scene of the hunt there's a great reference to 2001 A Space Odyssey where the camera's rolling up the hill while they're hunting the deer and just the the sound in the background is the same loud chorus booming sound that is in the Planet of the Apes when the apes are around the giant structure in front of them. Yeah, it's a great moment. And what I think makes this movie exceptional and much a much better improvement from Rise, and Rise is a good movie, but Dawn had a necessary ingredient that Rise didn't have, a great villain. Yeah. So in Rise of the Planet of the Apes, who's the villain? It's hard to say. I mean, Dodge, Dodge is the villain, but he's so only the caretaker. Yeah, they're only in the film for a little bit. The leader of the corporate of yeah. uh, Genesis, but he's barely in it, and he only like he doesn't have much to do in terms of the plot. Whereas in Dawn, we have our first full fledged, flat out villain in Koba played by Toby Kebbell in this role, and he was cast, uh, he, he wasn't originally playing Koba in the first movie, but since this is a much bigger role in this movie, they got a great actor, Toby, to play this, and he did a fantastic job, and Koba is a reflection of Caesar. You know, he views humans as cruel and evil and as enemies, and even though he is loyal to Caesar, he is testing that, and he's seeing, he's pushing Caesar, and he's trying to, he's constantly arguing with Caesar, whereas Caesar sees everything one way, Koba sees every, everything the other way. And their, const, con, their contrasting and conflicting personalities eventually are going to put each other up against each other. Yeah, because, you know, they're wondering, are humans here? Are they all gone? Did they destroy each other? And that's not until and then they discover that humans are still around when they bump into them. And one of them apes gets shot by one of the humans. And that's when Koba... Koba, like you said, wants the exact opposite of Caesar. He wants to eliminate all the humans. He wants to kill every human being he sees because he'll never forgive humans for what they did to them. He sees every human as an evil person and being like the ones that were torturing him and testing and experimenting on him. Yeah, whereas Caesar understands that there are so many humans that aren't good, just like just like Will was, and he'll learn that just like Malcolm and his family and friends are. And this has a great cast. We got Jason Clark as Malcolm. Gary Oldman as Dreyfus, who is the leader of the surviving humans in San Francisco. Kerry Russell as Ellie. Uh, Toby Kebbell as Koba. And I, what's the kid's name? Ender's game kid. Ender. Yeah, just Ender. Just call him Ender. Sorry, actor. I can't remember your name. Well, yeah, he's probably listening. He plays Malcolm's son. He's a patron, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they definitely upped the game in terms of having a great cast. Cody. Of, Cody, Cody Smith McPhee. Cody Smith McPhee. Great cast of actors for the, for the roles. Yeah, and so it's a great sequence where after the apes discover the humans one of the humans one of the apes gets shot, i think it's ash gets shot yeah but he's okay koba wants to go to war and kill them all he wants them to show strength but caesar doesn't want to go to war he doesn't want to kill anyone but he, he, he also doesn't want apes to die yeah but he also yes exactly that's his main yeah. purpose he doesn't want apes to die he doesn't want to lose what they've built because he says if we go to war how many apes will die and, yeah. and cobra's like doesn't even give him an answer because he knows it would be a lot and this is what i mean where caesar is a visionary he's looking to the future constantly in, in the in the rest I of have his a vision <laughs> <laughs> it has to be at least three, three times, times bigger <laughs> what is this a center for ants that's absolutely right <laughs> so yeah, caesar also has a vision just like derek 
But you can tell Koba isn't the only one that wants to show strength against the humans. And Caesar understands that. He has to show strength as a leader of the apes and their future of their species. So what they decide to do is to just roll up on the human colony. What's strong up? weapons, weapons held. strapped. And riding horses. Apes riding horses, which is insane. Because even when Malcolm and the others were telling them that, they heard it, an ape speak because Caesar spoke to them, telling them to leave. No one believed them. But it's not until they see them rolling up and we're riding horses that they're like, holy crap, these aren't apes. And on, to- and on top of that, Malcolm and the others had told Dreyfus that there were like 80 apes. Mm-hmm. But... It looks like about 400 apes roll up on them in the yeah. city. And so he's like, that's a hell of a lot more than 80. <laughs> but when Caesar, and all the humans are fascinated because you, you have apes acting intelligently and riding horses covered in war paint. You're like, what in the hell? Imagine being in their shoes. But then also Caesar speaks to them. And what he says to them is act, it's very little. It's very simple because he still is growing in intelligence. But it gets the point across very simply. He tells them, this is the human home. This is our home. Stay out of it. We don't want to go to war. And that's it. That's all he has to say. Apes do not want war. Yeah. And this allows, this kind of, I think, satisfies Koba a little bit where even though they didn't kill any of the humans, they did show their strength towards the humans as an as, as a fighting force that they do not want to mess with. Yeah. And what's also a fun fact about the filming of the horses and everything is they they originally tried to film with the motion capture artists and actors on horseback acting as apes. But what happened, according to Andy Serkis, is the horses would freak out as soon as they started acting like apes with their body language and movements. And especially when they spoke, when Caesar, when Andy Serkis spoke as Caesar, the apes would get super skittish and freak out. And so they actually had to switch to filming on top of, of ladders. Wow. Because the horses just understood that, like, that's not a human being on top of me. Mm-hmm. That's how good of actors these people are. Where the horse is like, that's not a human. What is that thing on me? That's crazy. Yeah. Wow, that's really fascinating. But it's a great point you make where Koba seems to be satisfied for the moment. They showed strength. But then when Malcolm is comes back to beg Caesar to let the humans work on the river because they have to control the the moat. I They're mean, trying I'm, to start the dam. The no, not the moat. <laughs> the moat. <laughs> not the moat. What is this, a castle? <laughs> yeah, it's got alligators. We got to get this drawbridge down, Caesar. Help us lower the drawbridge. <laughs> Make sure you wear your mask in the moat. <laughs> Masks in the moat. <laughs> the dam. They have to get the dam working because what's happening at the human colony is the people there, they're content for the moment. They have leadership. They have generators, so they have some power, so they can do some things. They're getting supplies and food and water, but they're running out. And Dreyfus and Dreyfus and Malcolm are very worried because when they run out of juice, when they run out of power, the humans are going to revolt. They're going to go crazy because we're accustomed to that. You know, they don't want to live like cavemen. You could say because they, they want to live like animals. Exactly. Yeah. That's what's ironic about it. But And so it's essential for Malcolm and his goal for the colony is to go back up to the ape territory, get permission to work on the dam. I will point out the main reason for the dam, not just for power, but it adds, it gives them a, a way of communicating yeah. through the radios to try and find other survivors and see if anyone else is out there. So that's the, the main motivation for getting to the, not, not just to power your iPhone. Excellent point. That's why that's why we, we're both on this show. Yeah. That's why I get paid the big bucks. <laughs> uh, actually, that's why LG pays me the big bucks. <laughs> yeah, LG, these screens are phenomenal, by the way. Like, I'm reading my notes, and, and that's exactly why Anthony gets paid the big bucks. <laughs> 
But it's a, it's pretty great because Caesar gives Malcolm permission because you can tell that that Caesar sees Will in Malcolm. You know, he sees his father figure there. He sees it's a good man. He's respectful in many ways, and he's putting his life on the line for his family and his colony, just like Caesar does every day. However, this makes Koba go crazy. He can't believe that Caesar's letting humans come back into their community. But it's also the right move strategically because what Koba doesn't understand is that if they go out to war, most of them will die and they might, they, there's possible that they'll lose. But what Caesar's, his strategy is actually the right move where he's like, the humans want this. If we don't voluntarily give it to them, they're going to take it by force. So let's just give it to them and they won't bother us anymore. Once they get the dam working, they will be living in the city. They're not going to live in the forest. They don't want the forest. They just want the power. So if we give them the power, they'll be satisfied. And we can even develop you know, a re relationship between the two cultures yeah. of peace. Whereas Koba, and this was the right move because the reason why Dreyfus had his men gather the weapons was on the chance that it didn't work out. Now, this actually complicates the plot for Koba because Koba, not trusting the humans, goes and spies on them and sees that they're gathering artillery. He thinks that, oh, they're just gathering artillery and they're going to attack other... In, either way, they're still going to attack us. But what he didn't understand that Dreyfus, it was a backup plan for the artillery. You need to clear your throat. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. You sound like a different human being. <laughs> you sound like Caesar. I didn't, I, I didn't breathe. You're like, uh, I need to wear a mask and clear my throat. <laughs> <You> sound... <laughs> And it's actually great you pointed out because Dreyfus even does say that, like, all right, we're just going to go up there and take it. We're going to use force. We're going to go up yeah, there with our guns. in three days. So, yeah, we're going to do it anyway. So, Caesar, you actually, I, I would I would beg to say that Caesar is more intelligent than the humans at this point in his life. Even though when you said that vocally he's not there, you, his, his brain still works probably smarter or as smart as human beings and he signs just intelligently as we speak so i think he just doesn't have the full vocal capabilities yet of a human being he's very wise he's very intelligent because he, he sees what they're gonna do anyways and he is a great leader but he underestimates koba and that's his his flaw in this movie and also the flaw of thinking that apes are better than humans mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and that they are superior because the reason why he didn't see koba turning against him even though koba is always like arguing with him and conflicting with him he never even conceived of the idea of koba attempting to kill him because he's an ape and so he's like he caesar was thinking there's no way an ape would kill another ape that's our law and we aren't humans we, we aren't savages so he's looking at humans the way humans look at them yeah and that was his ma major mistake in this movie of underestimating the 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 flawed humanity within apes mm -hmm. and not seeing that apes can be evil just like humans can be evil. Yeah, and how corrupt Koba is with hate. And again, it's deserved. It's, it's you know, anyone who went through what Koba went through, any being would feel that amount of hate for human beings as well. Almost as much as I hate you. <laughs> Whoa, man. That's pretty intense. Koba hates you. <laughs> Koba hate James. <laughs> And Koba is secretly he seems to be plotting something. He's he's corrupting Caesar's son, Blue Eyes, which is a reference to his mother, Bright Eyes. And but also at the same time, Malcolm is trying to respectfully work on the dam. And he him and his his it's his girlfriend who's a a, a doctor. She Ellie. she cures Cornelia, Caesar's wife, who is very sick after giving birth. Yeah, and so humans prove that they're worth to a lot of the apes that see this happen. Whereas Koba. Yeah. He's uh, invading the human city where 
he's seeing that they're gathering the artillery and even that great sequence where Cobra's very intelligent and he shows that by tricking the humans into killing them and taking their machine guns. Yeah, and so he also, you know, kills, tries to kill Caesar and he tricks all the apes around him that it was humans that did it. Excellent and, plan by yeah, him. Yeah, so again, Cobra's very intelligent too, but he's just very evil too at the same time. And he starts this war against humans because Cobra can never forgive humans of what they've done to him. And so he leads an all-out attack after getting alpha status of the entire community on the humans for, he says, to to uh, uh, vent, avenge Caesar. Yeah, so he, he rallies the group behind Caesar's apparent death. Yeah, and I love Blue Eyes in this film because he's just a kid as well, but he looks just like Caesar did in the yeah. first film. It's so great what they did with the CGI. And the thing, the reason why he's called Blue Eyes, it's not just a reference to his mom, but he was the first ape ever born with Blue Eyes. And it's a result of the genetics within Caesar. So he's the only ape with Blue Eyes, which is really fascinating. What's, so that, it, what's that Blue Eye genetic st- like? The fact that you always bring up when someone's talking about blue eyes. Well, did you know that the all people with blue eyes are descended from one person that lived in Greece in 12 AD? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, it's, that's about right. <laughs> yeah, all blue eyed people have the same ancestor. <laughs> it was a it was a mutation of the eye color that that had never happened before. Gotcha. That was a good one. It was the it was like the simian flu. But but blue eyes, you know. Of course, he's his father's son, and he, he understands that what's going on isn't right. But also, at the same time, he, he is upset about his father's death. But you can tell he's being—he's got a lot of—he's got a back-and-forth tension inside of him that he, he doesn't want to go with it, but he's kind of just being pulled along. Well, because once the apes win the win the battle and take over, Koba— Koba's methods are ruthless and brutal. Dictator. And he even, he even kills an ape that— doesn't want to carry out his orders. So when Blue Eyes see this, sees this, he he understands that Caesar would never have done anything like this, and Caesar would be ashamed of them if he saw them doing this. Yeah, and anyone who was loyal to Caesar is a prisoner at this point, especially Maurice and and Rocket, and they're all prisoners inside that bus, and they can't escape because they had loyalty to Caesar because. Koba understands that in order to have complete control, I have to just have only followers of me. That's very it's a dictator right there. Yeah, and the rest of the apes, they're too afraid to do something about it, despite the fact that if Caesar showed up, they all would have loyalty to Caesar, but Caesar's gone and they're afraid of Koba. Yeah. But luckily Malcolm and Ellie find Caesar and they bring him he leads them to his old house where he and Will used to live and they patch him up and what's really interesting about this movie is actually pretty tragic is we never know for certain what happened to Will after the first movie, but there's actually major hints that he definitely died of the virus uh, right after the end of the first movie mm-hmm. because, first of all, his car is still there, parked outside the house, so that means he didn't leave. And if he would have left, he would have taken his car. And second of all, on the doorstep, there's a marking, and that marking was used for people who were sick at that time during the pandemic to let people know not to come inside the house. So it seems as though... Will was infected with the virus pretty immediately and died. I wonder what happened to his body. I bet you people who died were probably taken away burned, and burned. Yeah. yeah, so he's. I bet you he was an early victim of the simian flu because of yeah. his close contact with the apes and everything and, and the scientists that had it. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, that's too yeah, bad. Franco died. Sorry, Franco. Sucks to suck. <laughs> <laughs> but this is where Malcolm and Ellie, they learn why Caesar is the way he is and he has connection to humanity and he had a 
a deep connection to a human being who was his surrogate father. A and good you see, man. A good man. Like you. <laughs> you see that the old photograph of him when he was little. And then we also see also the, the window with the cool, with that, that design of the window. You see that in the ape community in a few moments where they actually carved that symbol into stone. Mm. So it's become like the symbol of the community. Yeah. And we have the video of that Caesar plays back. It's really touching of, of them when he was just a child and Will was his father figure. It's, it's very, it's very powerful moment for yeah, Caesar. It's great. This movie really tugs at your heart, man. Yeah. And, um, I, and this is the point again, where Caesar isn't speaking in sign language anymore. He's speaking only and, he admits his mistakes and he's his biggest mistake was trusting apes fully and not understanding like you said that apes could create could carry out evil acts like koba did and koba will never be able to get rid of his hate for humans yeah it's like it's, it's you could say it's like original sin it's like with the with intelligence comes you know the choice to do wrong or the choice to do right yeah but the battle before this part is absolutely insane when koba oh, yeah. leads the attack on the human beings because you think as they're running up that the humans are going to take them all out with their bullets but my goodness there are so many apes and they're on horseback and they have weapons of their own and koba's like fearless crazy leading it's like it's like braveheart in a way he's just like out of his mind like we're gonna take it out we're gonna take them all down he even inspires the apes they seem to be giving up when they see lots of them are getting killed but then koba jumps on that horse with the assault rifle. And he's, two, like, he's got he's two like, yeah, rifles. He's like, let's go! It's absolutely insane. And then that inspires the other apes to continue fighting. So he actually is a, a leader. He has leadership qualities, but he is a, an evil leader. Yeah, because many of his own kind die yeah. tragically. So many apes, so many humans are killed in this sequence before, and then obviously they get control of the colony. Yeah, and also, like, you gotta understand the humans, like, even though they had gun, lots of guns, like, these aren't soldiers. They're just people. You yeah. know what I mean? They don't know anything about war. Yeah. But we have a great third act in this film where Caesar's back at the colony and his goal is to stop Koba. And then Malcolm's goal is to now stop Dreyfus and the other humans from blowing the entire tower down and killing every single ape in there. Yeah, and it's a great battle between Koba and Caesar. Like, this is like, this is what we, the, makes Dawn, I could say, probably the best one in the franchise is this good versus evil battle that is just so much fun to see. Yeah, and then once uh, Caesar defeats Koba, he's holding him in the air and about to save him because Koba turns his words against him and says, ape must, ape not kill ape. You know, I'm, I'm an ape. You can't kill me. We're, we're buds, remember? I'll be fine. But this is a very... <laughs> we're buds. <laughs> I'll be fine. It's a, it's a tough moment for Caesar because he's the one that created that rule and it's been so important to their entire community. And But if he lets Koba live... Kobo will just do the same thing. He's he jeopardizes the entire species, not just the safety of them, but just the future of their entire species. So the only way to ensure their all, the safety of all of them and their future is to let Koba go and kill him. Great death scene. And he tells him, "You are not ape." You yeah, it's a great line. It's a great line. I love it. But and then um, the building does actually blow up, but it doesn't collapse. Yeah, it just like messes up. And shakes a little bit. And then Caesar, he gets his, his loyalty back through from everyone. And what's so great about it is it's almost like he's a king. You know, not just an alpha male of a hierarchical structure in Animal Kingdom, but now he's like a king who's being bowed to by the rest of them. And he walks among them as, as almost like a godlike figure. It's really fascinating. And then he says goodbye to Malcolm. And, you know, humans and apes are going to be going their separate ways. And... We don't see these characters again, but I, I think that they survive because they, they're immune to the simian flu. That's why they are still alive. So I think they'll find another place to live. But for the apes, 
it's onward, and they need to find a new home. Well, until the simian flu changes and, and uh, mutates in the next film, which we'll get to in a moment after Anthony tells us about some movie poster stuff. MoviePosters.com is the number one place to get your posters online. Use our special promo code Raiders15OFF. Again, this is a brand new promo code, not the old one. Raiders15OFF to get 15% off your order today. If you love movies, if you love TV shows, if you love Planet of the Apes, there's no better place to show that way to show that love than by decking your place out with a Planet of the Apes poster. MoviePosters.com has pretty much every movie imaginable in their selection. They have all sorts of sizes, framing, backlighting. They got it all. For all your poster needs, go to MoviePosters.com and use our promo code Raiders15OFF. Now, let's get into the third film of the trilogy, War for the Planet of the Apes. This came out in 2017, and this is an epic film because it's a war movie. Again, turned into a massive prison escape. And it's so fun. And I love just the opening fanfare credits. And it's very, very um, apes-themed. And we have this fantastic opening battle of this in the movie where the humans are about to... Or they're trying to run recon basically on apes. And they attack the apes. And it's really interesting because they also have apes working with them. So we're seeing a cohesion of the species on, on the human end working with apes. But also a war is brewing because these are the humans that Dreyfus and those in that colony reached out to that Malcolm told Caesar at the end of the second film like you have to get out of here there are more humans coming they contacted a base somewhere and so there's there there's military personnel coming these are those humans and this is two years later where they have been battling for some time now uh, off and on and so the humans understand they're wicked smart apes Wicked smart kid in these woods and it is an astounding opening sequence. The like I said, the CGI is incredible, and I love the first major shot we get of an ape is of that first donkey, the gorilla, and it's a great shot because there's a soldier communicating that he sees apes in the distance, and then we see behind him the gorilla shows up, and we think, oh man, is the gorilla gonna kill him? But actually, he's on their side, and he has betrayed his own species to survive among the humans, and. I thought it was a really fascinating way to portray how there can be outliers in the society, uh, apes who would betray themselves to do whatever they can to stay alive, desperate for survival. And I thought it was a fascinating take. Yeah, and this attack is is wild. It's it's such great action sequence and incredible directing by Matt Reeves in this entire film, especially working with these kind of circumstances of you know a ton of motion capture and people versus soldiers and guns and everything and explosions and. It's great because this first act shows that there's probably more humanity inside Caesar than there is inside the human beings who are there to attack them. And then Caesar, you know, the, the apes win the battle because they have more numbers and they're better fortified. And they, they have the, the high spears. They have the high ground. The spears, man. Let's they not, take them out with those not spears. not forget about the high ground. Oh, Don't yeah. try it. This, oh, yeah. They they throw the smoke. They put the smoke up and then the, the arrows It's really great spears. tactics, yeah. yeah. First, it, they, they take away their sight and then they just bombard them. It's incredible. But what, what Caesar does is even though he knows they're at war, he's trying to end the war. He's trying to show a sign of peace where he spares some of the soldiers and lets them go and, and frees them to go back to their, their camp and their base. And he tells them that I did not start this war. And he's basically trying to send a message to the colonel who he keeps hearing about in this opposing force of his. And he also tells Maurice that Koba still haunts us. 
And also, we get a new character, Winter, who, and kind of in Koba's shoes, is, is unhappy with Caesar's decision and eventually will lead to betraying him later on in the film. But rather than Koba, who does it out of spite and hate, Winter does everything out of fear. Yeah. And But I love the scene when the soldiers are being held captive within the bombardment, and then we get a POV where, where Caesar walking through, and all of the apes are bowing down to us and holding their arms out. It, a really great shot of showing the power that Caesar has in this community and allowing to, us to see it through his perspective. And the expansion of their community is incredible and how much they've grown and, and progressed as a species and as a community. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, and also they're working on expanding themselves and finding a home. Like this is a home, but like they're looking for a place where their society can live in peace indefinitely. And that's what his son... Uh, Cornelius has been doing. No, it's Blue uh, Eyes. Blue Eyes, sorry. Cornelius, Cornelius is the little guy. Blue Eyes. That's why I'm here to, to help you. Oh, yeah. That's, it's because of the LG laptop. Yeah. <laughs> the screen's too big. <laughs> Blue Eyes ha has just returned from a long journey where he crossed a desert and found a land where there is water and fresh greenery where they can live peacefully. Yeah. He and, went with uh, Rocket. Yeah. So their plan eventually is to lead the entire community to that place. Exactly. But also they know that because the humans have been attacking them, there is a finite amount of time. There's a ticking clock, and they, they should be leaving as soon as possible. But Caesar thinks it's best to wait until they can find a safe passage for all of them to travel. Because it's one thing for two apes to travel that distance, but for thousands pro probably to travel that distance is a whole other matter. Yeah, and just like how Caesar underestimated things that Koba would do, he underestimated what humans would do because he thought his offering of peace would be reciprocated, you know, at least temporarily when, you know, I, I'll spare these people. This is the message. Like, I don't want a war. If I wanted a war, I would kill these people and you would never hear from them again. But he doesn't understand that the colonel is full of hate and he colonel, the colonel takes his men and they come on that secret mission and the colonel himself kills Caesar's family. He kills blue eyes and Cornelia thinking that Blue Eyes is Caesar because they're only there to kill what, who they call King Kong. Yeah, it was an assassination attempt on Caesar. Yeah. Is what it was. But a great sequence of, you know, special ops in, in, this, in these caverns. And then we get the reveal that Woody Harrelson is the big bad. He is the colonel. And he is great in this role. I love Woody when he plays a baddie. He's great. Yeah, he's going to be, and he's the, the villain in the new Venom movie too, oh, so yeah. it's going to be epic. Yeah, he's going to be awesome as Carnage. So he, he did a fantastic job in this film because he, the thing with Woody is he's so charming and so lovable and everyone, everyone loves Woody Harrelson. And so when he plays a villain, he, he, he takes those qualities and it, it's such an interesting take on someone who could be so cruel and evil because, you know, inside of him, he still has that likability but he's such a cruel man. It's it's. I think the same thing is when Heath did the Joker because he'd never done a role like that before. Because you know he played many different types of characters, but he was always like always in the positive light. You could say those characters, but then to see him as this maniacal evil person is just epic. It's yeah. so fun. That's yeah. what's best about it. It's a blast to watch yeah. Woody Harrelson in this movie. And what's what's a really cool take on the virus in this movie is the simian flu has evolved. And even though it killed most of the population, there are still humans who remained because they were immune to it. But viruses evolved, and this virus has evolved to affect those surviving humans in an even more negative way by making by taking their minds away, by turning them into primitive beings. 
And the first sign of this is that human beings lose their speech. They lose their ability to speak. And then eventually they lose their ability to really think and cognitively function. And then they become very animalistic and primitive. And so the, the virus is reversing the roles in it made it made primitive apes intelligent and now it's turning intelligent humans primitive yeah so this is caesar begins to learn this when he goes on that vendetta mission he goes on actually revenge tour revenge, number three <laughs> revenge tour <laughs> revenge tour 2009 2017 let's go because he becomes like Coburn in a lot of ways because after his family is murdered by the colonel even though cornelius has survived he has all the other apes embark on their journey to find their new home but he decides to go on a solo revenge tour and play at sold out shows everywhere (laughs) (laughs) to find uh winter to take him out but then to also find the colonel and take him out so that's on that mission obviously maurice and rocket come to join him on that mission they learn that this is happening to humans when the humans kill their their own kind they find the humans that have been shot dead except for one of them's living the one that's living can't speak. So Caesar's trying to realize, understand what's happening to these humans. Yeah, and Caesar in this movie, again, going through major transformation where he, because of the loss of his his wife and his son, he's so filled with hate and he wants nothing but vengeance and he wants to kill the colonel and he wants it so badly that he abandoned his own people. Yeah. You know, it's and, not something a leader should do. And he, even when they find that little girl in that little abandoned town after they kill their father, well, the father, you know, pull a gun on them first. Um, Caesar doesn't want to take the little girl with them, even though the Caesar before probably would have found shelter for the girl no and doubt. taken care of her. Yeah. But Caesar has lost his his uh, respect his, for humanity. Yeah, he, do, he doesn't respect humans anymore. He lost his positive light for them. He even glares at her when they're riding on horseback. He's like glaring at her. But Maurice can never leave the child, so he takes the leader with, takes the, takes the child with them. But the child, this girl, she has suffered from this loss of speech and she probably will inevitably lose her mind at some point yeah it's it's really incredible writing and and then they encounter that small base where they find winter and he's working he's a donkey you know he's he's basically doing whatever the humans tell him to do and matt reeves came up with the idea of donkey calling them donkeys because it's a reference to king kong I mean, oh, yeah. it's a reference to Donkey Kong, the video game. Oh yeah, and also because they're they're an, pack animals that are carrying supplies. So, but mostly because of Donkey Kong. Yeah, and I think that's an animal that human beings usually uh, uh, call unintelligent too. Mm-hmm. So I think that's just another dig against apes in general. Yeah, exactly. But again, Winter betrayed the apes out of fear. He didn't do this because he wanted to. He did it because he was so afraid of the human beings that I'd rather if they promised I would be spared in this war if I go and work for them and betray them and, and give up Caesar in our location to the humans. and then, But ultimately, there's no way the humans would ever let any apes survive eventually. So it was a mistake by his part. And that's what Caesar tries to tell him before he strangles him to death. He's like, you think they'd spare, they'd let you live? And then th- they uh, run into that other ape, that the other chimpanzee Bad ape. who steals, uh, <laughs> steals their horse, but then they find him and he's actually a chimpanzee from a zoo. And he's actually very intelligent, but he and he can speak a little bit. And yeah, he says, uh, "Bad ape, bad ape, bad ape." And the thing with him is, Caesar pities him immensely because he's been here for so long, and he came from a zoo. And I'm sure that ape, an ape in Caesar's position would pity an ape that grew up in a zoo in its entire life, just like Caesar did in a way. But also, this is something that the the flu, the simian flu, spread. Not just it's so they're learning that. Apes all around the world gain intelligence yeah. from the virus. So just how it's negatively affecting humans, it's positively affecting all apes. And actually, 
this was an idea that Matt Reeves and Andy Serkis did not come up with. They were they were asked questions on press junkets, and someone asked them, what happens to other apes in this world? Did other apes get intelligent from the virus? And then Andy Serkis was like, yo, Matt Reeves, listen to this idea. He's probably like, yeah, yeah, they do get intelligent. <laughs> Great question. You'll you'll find out and more. And so after that, they explored that idea in this movie. Yeah, that's a it's a great take because why why not make it like that? It'd make mm-hmm. more sense to to have the entire world of all these apes becoming more intelligent because now we're having basically a replacement of species of apes replacing humans mm-hmm. fully throughout the entire planet, not yeah. just this community. Yeah. But ultimately, uh, Caesar made a grave mistake when he realizes that when he finds the military base with the colonel, he discovers that all of his kind have been enslaved and kidnapped and are being held hostage and. Uh, they're working for the humans by building a wall day in and day out, carrying rocks and sticks and, and building this fort for some reason which Caesar doesn't know yet. And so because of his own mistake and his own error, his arrogance and his, his greed for revenge, he re- he led his people to ruin. And then he is captured himself and he's put in his own secluded prison cell and the colonel knows exactly who he is. And it's really interesting because the morning routine of the soldiers at this camp base, they they act like apes themselves. He the colonel like is shaving his head and he watches all his his men and women and soldiers just scream at him war cries like you could say apes in a way or animalistic. To it kind of is a great uh, mirror to the apes that are surrounding them in their cages. Great point. Thanks, Pat. Excellent point. That's what I do. But That's also, where I get the big bucks. <laughs> the colonel is very smart, though, where he keeps Caesar separate from the other apes. Mm-hmm. You don't want him to rile them up, you know what I mean? But also, the colonel understands that he needs Caesar because in order to get that wall built, he needs all of the apes to cooperate. So when there is that slight rebellion that first day at the war camp for Caesar, when the colonel brings Caesar over to him, he, he orders him to get everyone back to work. He needs the apes to get back to work. And Caesar's the only one who can really unite the apes completely. And though, and then when it's when he puts Caesar's life in danger by holding a gun to his head, then all the apes voluntarily begin working again out of sparing his life. So even, yeah. he understands that the apes are led by Caesar. And even though right and before this, when he's first at the camp, you can tell he's lost his loyalty of the rest of the community. They have lot. They don't look at him. They don't even respect him like they used to. It's not till he starts speaking out and then gets the lashings that they start to respect him again. Hundred percent. And Caesar is so smart because there's that great conversation that night that he has in the colonel's uh, office, you could say, or apartment, whatever. Where, apartment. <laughs> I guess you could call that an apartment. His bungalow. Yes. <laughs> His IKEA furniture. Um, where Caesar's again so intelligent, he understands that there are other humans coming, but they're not coming to help the colonel out. They're coming to attack the colonel. That's why he wants this wall so badly. Which I mean, doesn't really do much anyways. Yeah. They it's got just, a bunch of helicopters. Yeah. <laughs> it's better than nothing. Yeah. It's a wall. I you guess. Gotta something. You gotta yeah. stop the ground forces. I guess so. But yeah, because again, and you can tell the colonel, he understands this this being, this species of ape is going to take him over at some point. You know, he understands, he t- tells him like, you're smart as hell, you're strong as hell. If it wasn't for us having guns, basically, that you'd be in control of this entire planet by now. He's, he basically says it's inevitable that the apes will eventually take over for sure. Mm-hmm. But also we learned that the colonel is driven by trying to save humanity 
what's left of humanity because he understands how how horrible this virus is because he he his own son suffered at the hand of the virus and he himself killed his son when he stopped speaking and and like he's ordered the killings of his own men when they stopped speaking and so he's driven by the idea of i'm trying to preserve humanity and so you can kind of understand what he's going for and not just humanity in a way he reminds me of of hans landa where the colonel he's fascinated and obsessed with history you know he names off many different many different generals and leaders of of armies and wars and he can, he's either comparing Caesar to them or himself. He, I think it's kind of hard to tell. It could go both ways. He compares rivals. Yeah. So he compares generals who went to war with each other, okay. implying that there are two generals going to war with each other. And he, he, he thinks he's probably the most important general, you could say, to exist in humanity because all of human history, everything human beings have accomplished, it has led to this moment between Caesar and the colonel. It's crazy. It's like the end of the world in, in terms of humanity. And that's why it's called War for the Planet of the Apes, not uh, of the Planet uh, of the Apes. It's because it's now their planet. For it. Yeah, they're battling for the planet. Understood. Yeah. Thank you for uh, explaining that. Well, you know, I just want to, you know, again, it's the, the big I'm, bucks. We're on the same page. Yeah. We're, we're, seldom are we, but, you know, we are now. <laughs> but then, thanks to the help of Maurice in Bad Ape and the little girl, and Caesar there and Rocket and Rocket they're able to figure out a way of escape and it's really it's really the lightest part of the movie a fun sequence especially anything with Bad Ape in it who's played by Steve Zahn super funny and they figure out a way of tunneling out all of the apes and it's a great sequence they Caesar frees the little kids the little little baby apes and it's so touching when yeah. he gets to hug Cornelius yeah. oh man when he it, hugged him I was like oh my god it warms my heart so much oh man but they managed to get all of the apes out just as the human attack is coming onto the onto the area, and so uh, they humans were properly distracted. They didn't see all of the apes suddenly disappear out that hole. Mm -hmm. And again, it's a great prison escape movie now because they figured out how to get. The, they've discovered those tunnels underneath the ground, and you know they're leading the apes out through the adult ape sanctuary, uh, the adult ape cage, where they have to get the children, the baby apes. I like when they're all from above ground across the rope. Yeah, so that's the problem with the the plan. They have to because they flood one of them by accident. They have to figure out how to get the the child apes, but they have to do that above ground, which they successfully do with those wires. Yeah, super cute. It is super adorable. Little chimps are super cute. <laughs> and the battle with when the humans do show up, it is pretty in incredible, especially when the helicopters attack the base. And what's happening is Caesar and a lot of the apes they haven't fully gotten out of the area yet, and so they're still in danger. Whereas and also Caesar. He's going for the colonel. He still wants to kill him, even though the apes are free. He even says, I haven't been able to escape my hate. Like, Koba was never able to escape his hate. So he still hasn't fully transformed by this part of the movie yet. Yeah, so he, he tells Maurice, I am like Koba. Yeah, so he goes for the colonel, but then he discovers that the colonel, because he grabbed the little stuffed animal that the little girl left in his cage, he contracted the virus from her. And so he can't speak anymore. Yeah. And it's a great moment because Caesar... All he's wanted to do this entire film is kill the colonel. And now he has the moment. The colonel is blackout drunk. He's incapacitated. He can barely move. He can't speak. He wants to die. He's begging Caesar to just shoot him in the head. So it's a perfect opportunity. But Caesar puts the gun down and decides not to kill him. Again, this is what's causing him to have more humanity than humans. Yeah. And then he... So he the colonel kills himself, and then Caesar escapes, and then there's a, a really intense moment where just as Caesar, he sees that 
his people are being gunned down by these machine guns on top of turrets. And so then he sees the big oil tank nearby. So he wants to blow up the oil tank with a bunch of grenades. But then Caesar gets shot by the crossbow. And then he's literally about to die. But then the donkey gorilla turns around and blows up that guy, showing that he he saw when he saw Caesar running towards that gas tank, towards that oil tank, risking his life to save the other apes, that changed that gorilla donkey. And watching the other apes get gunned down. Yeah. Because Caesar had been trying to turn him every time they had an interaction because, you know, he, he's like, you're still, there's an ape still inside of you unless it's all gone, but you're still one of us. But you're going to have to, tr he's trying to get him to recognize who he really is and who he should be fighting for. Yeah. And it's a great moment when he does finally blow up that oil tank and, it's such a great explosion. But, I love yeah. it. But I love the escape because they get away clean at first, and Caesar eventually becomes like a Moses-like character. But before that happens, you know, this army comes, and they've won the base, and it's like a huge army of, like, tens of thousands of dudes with guns and all that. Dudes and gals. They're they're wearing the Inception winter yeah. soldier gear. <laughs> Inception collection. Yeah. <laughs> winter fortress collection. and um, But then they create a an avalanche. And obviously because I, you could say this avalanche is like the determining factor of what species is going to survive because it seems like this is the last of humanity. Yeah. And this is the last of these intelligent apes. And so here comes the avalanche who's going to survive, the apes who climb, climb up the trees. But then all the – what a terrible way to die for all these human beings. The end of humanity from an avalanche. Oh, my gosh. It's terrible. Awful. But that's also kind of funny. But the the apes survive. But now it's on their it's their task to find their new home. And again, Caesar becomes a Moses like character, and he he leads his people to safety to basically you could say a paradise or an oasis. And Caesar is held on long enough to do that before he eventually dies. Yeah, and he'll become uh, just like in the original Planet of the Apes movies, he'll become like a godlike figure to them uh, in later generations. You know, he'll always be. Like Caesar led us to this place. Yeah. Caesar took care of us. Caesar was our leader. Absolutely, yeah. it's a phenomenal movie. It's hard to to pick which film is better. I mean, I think the first one's probably the weakest. Rise is the weakest. Not that it's not a bad movie, bad movie, but I just think I think I agree with you that Dawn is such a phenomenally phenomenal story that I think it's the best of the three. I and also I think that Dawn has better pacing. Mm -hmm. There are slow bits of of uh, war, uh, but. Dawn just is fantastic plot. I think more interesting things happen yeah. in Dawn versus War. Yeah. Not that War is not an epic film. War has some great, great moments. Yeah, I mean, some of the best moments are in War. Yeah, there's still plenty of stuff we didn't even get to. Yeah, but, but I would say like the middle part of War, pretty slow compared to Dawn. But overall, it's a yeah. perfect trilogy. I love it. And I, I, I've missed also Born is a perfect trilogy. Born's a perfect. Oh yeah, Born is a perfect. I trilogy. forgot to mention that yeah. one earlier. But yeah, that's that's the end of the third film, and so I mean. That's all I got on the War for the Planet of the Apes. How about we do some trivia? Let's do it. All right, let's start with trivia for Don. I mean, for Rise. Andy Serkis based his Caesar behavior on a chimpanzee named Oliver for the balance of behaving like a civilized chimp. His red shirt and black pants, his appearance and his ability to sign well are based on another chimpanzee named Nin Nim Chimpsky. This movie is the first installment of the franchise to feature another great ape species besides chimpanzees, gorillas, and orangutans. Koba, the scarred lab ape, and some apes at Gen Sis and Sanctuary are bonobos. This species was assumed until very recently to be a subspecies of chimp, explaining its absence in previous films. 
Koba was the nickname of Joseph Stalin during his time as a revolutionary. Caesar's speaking voice was produced by sound designer Chuck Michael, who mixed the sounds of a fully grown male chimp's vocalizations recorded at Chimp Haven with Andy Serkis's voice. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is the first time in the franchise that shows chimps as omnivores. They hunted a herd of elk in the beginning of the film and can later be seen eating the elk. This is accurate since chimpanzees in reality hunt and eat other animals. Some are deer-like animals. Rise of the Planet of the Apes is the second film in which Andy Serkis played an ape, having previously portrayed the title character in King Kong. He was also the motion capture actor for Gollum and the Hobbit in the Lord of the Rings film franchises, where he bit another character's hand. His ape character Caesar bites the neighbor finger on fingers in this role too. Weta Workshop worked on all of these movies. Before principal photography began on Dawn, the ape actor spent two and a half weeks at an ape camp in Vancouver run by T Terry Notary, who you spoke about earlier in the other stunt guys. Matt Reese pointed out that the apes in Rise and Dawn don't wear clothing. The ape society, however, in the original Planet of the Apes wear clothing, and so Bad Ape in War for the Planet of the Apes is supposed to represent the start of the progression of apes wearing clothing. The movie poster of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes features Caesar carrying an assault rifle on horseback. In contrast, Caesar never actually uses any guns. He does, however, threaten Malcolm and his friends with a shotgun after discovering that Carver smuggled it in. It's a cool looking poster, though. It is a cool poster. <laughs> in War for the Planet of the Apes, when Caesar confronts the colonel as the human army attacks, the tears running down Caesar's face are really Andy Serkis's tears. Weta Digital tried to recreate them digitally onto Caesar's face, but were unable to capture it correctly. They instead chose to lift the footage from Andy Serkis and then place the tears atop the ape face they created. That's all I got. That's all I got, too. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in to our episode on the Planet of the Apes trilogy. We really hope you enjoyed this as much as we did. Take care, everyone. Make sure to go to patreon.com slash Raiders of Lost Podcast to become a patron today. Subscribe, follow the notification bell wherever you're listening in. Leave those five-star reviews. We appreciate it so much, and thanks again. Bye. <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.